Yes, God, we worship you this morning. We declare together that our God is great, that our King is wonderful, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, both on earth and above the earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We worship you, Jesus, our King. We honor you. We lift you up as the Almighty One, the risen Savior, Emmanuel, but the great I Am, the One who was, the One who is, the One who is to come, the One who is without equal or peer. Jesus, you are King over all that is created. And only by you was it created, God. Your breath sustains everything. And we worship you this morning our glorious King, our risen Savior, and the one who says we may call you friends. May you be praised amongst us this morning, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you to Pam. Thank you to the worship team. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you this morning. If you haven't met me before, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at Connect, and I'm excited to be with you this morning, excited to, to dig into God's Word together this morning. And if you're here, and maybe this is your first time, or you missed last week, we started a new series, and you're still right at the beginning of that series. We're going to be plowing through the Sermon on the Mount for the next five months. I know that seems like a long haul, but I promise you it's going to be so great, because this is, this is possibly the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached. It's without competition, His longest uninterrupted sort of discussion or discourse speech that he has. And, and what happens is in Matthew chapter 4, we see that Jesus has been going around. He's been going around Galilee. He's been going around the 10 towns. He's been doing a lot of ministry. He's just called his disciples to come and follow him. And, uh, and right before this happens, it seems he goes around. He does a lot of healing. He heals all who are sick. He goes around and casts out demons from everyone um, in the surrounding areas. And then a crowd begins to gather because that's what happens when you start doing that kind of ministry. And, and Jesus says, you know what, guys, we need to take a moment and we just need to get away um, up onto the hill. And he takes his disciples and, and they go up onto the hill. And then he begins to, to talk to them and to describe to them what we have today as the most comprehensive guide in Scripture for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, for what it means to, to follow Jesus. These guys have just said... Yes, we will follow you. He's called them. He says, will you follow? They've said yes. And he says, now I want to take you away and I want to tell you what this is all about. If you're really going to follow me, this is now the blueprint for what that's going to look like. These are the terms and conditions. This is the fine print. This is what you need to know, right? And you'll notice as we go through the sermon that Jesus doesn't pull any punches, Right? This is, this is, the bar's not set nice and low here where it's like real easy. This is not the latest Joy Magazine article, five easy steps to get your life right with God. Right? That's not what Jesus is doing here. This is the king of the kingdom. Right? This is the almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. He's come down and he's saying to those who would follow him, he says, guys, this is what it's like to be a citizen in my kingdom. And I want to encourage you as we go through the series, and it's going to take a long time, right? But every week as we go through and as we look at the words that Jesus is speaking, I want to encourage you to let them confront you. Let them, let them almost arrest you. Let them stop you where you're at. Allow them to interrogate you. 
and try and see if you can, if you can hold your justification just over there for a moment and just allow the words to land in your heart. Because his words should cause us to stop in our tracks. They should cause us to, to hit pause and to begin to reevaluate and to ask, am I really, is this the life I'm really living? Is this what's really happening in my life? Because if they didn't do that, would they really be the words of God? The sermon is, it's not just another opinion in a world of relative truth. It's not just, you know, something you can find on Google amongst, you know, some people's collection of great sermons. This is God himself who came in the flesh and sat down with his disciples and said, guys, this is what I need you to know if you're going to follow me. And I, I want to encourage you as we go for the next five and a half months, as we go through this, I want you do your very best to resist the temptation to kind of humanize his words, to, to, to diminish them a little bit, to make them more accessible or compatible with our Western culture and lifestyle. And j- just allow them to hit you. Just allow the fullness and their bluntness to penetrate into our heart and to, and to press through our defenses. Because I know for most of us, if you've been a Christian for, you know, six months, you've probably read this, you've heard about it. If you've been in church, like many of you have for many, many years, you should be very familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But, but these words are incredibly powerful. And I want to encourage us as we go through to allow them to hit us again. If you've just joined us this week, you're visiting with us this morning, or, uh, or you missed last week, we're, we're still right at the beginning of this, and John, our senior pastor, he launched us into this last week, and uh, he launched us with a passage at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes, right? Many of us would have known, known what that's all about, and it's describing the characteristics of those who follow Jesus, right? It's that, that those who, who follow Jesus will, will live in the blessing of His grace, and they will live like and embody the characteristics of the King of the kingdom. That's what it's all about, right? And so this morning, we, we follow Jesus, and He bridges from describing the characteristics of those who would follow Him into a description of their identity. He says, this is what you are if you are going to follow me. And these two things together, the Beatitudes and the passage we're going to look at this morning, and by the way, that's why I've called this morning's message, Be Who You Are, because that's what God is calling us to. But these two things, the, this, these first 16 verses in Matthew chapter 5, they, they encapsulate the whole of the Sermon on the Mount, and everything that we're going to do from here is going to begin to unpack what it looks like to walk in blessedness and what it looks like to walk as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Right, which is what we're going to dig into this morning. <clears throat> and so because most of you know this reasonably well, and, and for other reasons which I'm going to share with you in a moment, I'm going to try and do two things this morning. The one thing is I'm going to try and be as brief as possible in explaining the text. Because right? hopefully you've heard it. If you haven't, this, and this is the first time, that's great. I hope it'll be enough. Right? The second thing I'm going to try and do is try and spend more time talking about what it looks like to live that out as we go. And the reason, the reason I wanted to do this is, is quite simple. It's not because I couldn't spend a whole sermon with you discussing the various uses of salt and how that metaphor points us toward a wide range of different functions that God's calling us to live out in society today. 
It's, it's not because I, I couldn't spend a long time drawing out the parallels between Jesus calling us the light of the world here and him claiming that title for himself in John chapter 8 or John talking about Jesus as coming into the world as being the light that comes into the darkness and the darkness doesn't understand him. It's not because I couldn't spend a long time there. It's not because I ran out of time this week to prepare this message that I just you know, wanted to wing it a little bit and just brush over some of the deeper parts of it. Right? But the reason I wanted to just, I, I love this passage of Scripture. I really do. I, I asked to, to be able to preach this passage when we were doing our preaching planning because I'm so excited about what Jesus says here. I think it's so incredibly important. There's so much richness and power in these words. But the reason I want to spend a long time explaining it is because Jesus didn't say this to create a new ethical framework for us to discuss in the philosophical ideas about how to live. If he wanted to do that, he would have gone to the Areopagus and he would have had a discussion with the Greek philosophers and he would have entered it in as a new philosophical framework for them to interact with. He said it because he wanted to instruct those who were going to follow him about how they were to live. That's what he did. That's why he did it. And so this morning, that's the key heart of the question we're going to be asking. How does this affect how I live? So let's read it together from Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hilltop cannot be hidden, and nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but they place it on a stand so that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, you are to let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's it. Four verses. My very first sermon I managed to preach for an hour on two verses. I'm going to try very hard not to do that this morning. It wasn't very good either. <laughs> All right, so yeah, we're not going to do two hours. This is not full African church. All right. I want to pull out three key ideas from these four verses, right? When Jesus says these things, he speaks about our identity, he speaks about our purpose, and he speaks about how we are to live that out, our approach. That's, that's what he's doing in these four verses. And we're going to tease those out quite quickly, and then we're going to talk a bit about living it, right? So let's talk a bit about identity. Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he does something quite significant here, if you've been reading through from the beginning of Matthew 5, as he's doing the Beatitudes, Jesus is speaking in the third person. He says, blessed are those who does this, or blessed is the man or woman who does this or lives like that, right? And then in the final Beatitude, he shifts away from the third person, and he shifts into the second person, he begins to describe the, the disciples who are right there, he says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And he, he does this not because he wants to exclude anyone else, but because he wants to tell his disciples who are right there with him how perfectly this applies to their life. He's saying, guys, the instruction I'm giving you is not just general life instruction. This is about who you are as my disciples. Right? So he begins to shift into that second person. And our passage starts with the same word, you are the salt of the earth. You of the light of the world. And, and I wanted to focus on this very briefly because this word you comes from the Greek word humais, but what's interesting about the Greek part of it is that it's written emphatically in the Greek. Now, we don't really have a way of doing that in English, but what that means is when Jesus is saying you, he's saying you and you alone. 
You and no one else. These things apply to you and to no one else. I'm not, I'm not saying the nation of Israel. I'm not talking about the nation of Israel. They were God's people, and that is transforming and changing into the new people of God, and they've been invited into that. But when I say you are the salt of the earth, I'm not talking about the nation of Israel. I'm talking about you, my disciples, my followers, if you would follow me. I'm not even talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of God's people. I'm not talking about them, the, the pastors of the day. I'm not talking about them, right? I'm talking about those of you who would follow me. You are the light of the world. I'm not, I'm not talking about the Romans. I'm not talking about the Gentile empire that's been set up and conquered the known world, right? This is not about them. This is about you. You alone are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus is saying to his disciples that you guys are now forming an exclusive group and you have a unique identity and purpose that is different to everyone else. <clears throat> second thing, just to point out briefly here, is the second word in each of those statements. It's the word are, and it's a very simple little word, right? But I want us to notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, you should be the salt of the earth, implying that I've kind of created you to be that way, but you're not. Right? He doesn't say you can be or could be the salt of the earth. Right? He doesn't say you are becoming the salt of the earth, and if you just you know, follow me for a little while, we'll, we'll get it right, and if you just pray a few more prayers, it'll get better. He doesn't say it with a little bit of time and a little bit of refinement, we do a lot more discipleship, and if you go to 17 seminars, then you'll be ready to be the salt of the earth. It's not what he says. He says you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's a statement of identity. It's a statement about how we've been created and designed. It's not something you can turn on and off. It's not something that you can opt in and then opt out of, you know, because things get a little bit hectic. And, and I know that's a very real thing. I know that life really does get really challenging sometimes. We get, we get sick. Work goes crazy. Family life goes crazy. If you're studying, that can, that can really ramp up at different times of the year. I know that things can really seriously get difficult. And when it does, you probably can and you should maybe step out of some of the things that you can opt in and out of. This is not one of those things. It's like me saying, you know, if things got really hectic here at church, it's like me going up to my folks and saying, listen, mom and dad, I um, just want you to know things are really hectic at the moment at the church. I'm just really battling. There's a lot on my plate. So I just need to opt out of being your son for a couple of months. Hope that's okay. I'll be back in when things are a little bit more reasonable. Right? You can't do that because that's my DNA. It's who I am. It's who I was born as. No matter what, I will always be a son. Nothing can change that. In the same way, Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. It's not something you can opt in and out of. It's not something you can be part of. It's who you are. It's who I've created you to be. That statement is as much true about you as the fact that you are a child of your parents. Let's, let's jump a little bit into the second part. Let's talk about purpose to discuss a little bit what, what being the salt of the earth and the light of the world is all about. He says, you are the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. But he says this, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything. And a city that's set on a hill, you can't hide it, right? And in the same way, people don't light a lamp and then put it under a basket or a bowl, but they put it on a stand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. 
What Jesus is doing here is he's saying that your identity, this identity that I'm telling you that you have that's a part of your DNA, is an identity of purpose. You have been designed, created, then redeemed, and chosen with a purpose in mind. In the same way that when, when man made steel, right, we, we, we realized we had a need. We needed something that was strong, that was durable, that would resist the elements, that wouldn't rust. And so we took iron and we added some alloys to it and we melted it down and we created steel so that it would be strong and we could put it into concrete and we could reinforce things and we could make big skyscrapers. We designed it with a purpose. It didn't just happen one day as you know, some guys were welding together and suddenly steel formed. It wasn't like fire where lightning struck wood and suddenly we had fire. It was something that was designed and created with a purpose. In the same way, we've been designed and created with a purpose, to be salt and to be light. That leaves us with a key question is, what does that really mean? And, and I mentioned a little bit earlier, and, and you can get, there's a, lot, there's a lot of places you can go. This is where commentators and scholars have lots of fun, and they talk about the, the, different, the different things that being salt and being light could mean. You know, and there's many things we could explore. We could talk about how salt preserves things how salt prevents decay, how, how we use it to, to flavor food, or how when you happen to drink salt or eat a lot of salt, you know, if you go to the movies and you have very salty popcorn, you get real thirsty. Right? There's a lot of things that salt does. We could talk about light and how light reveals things. We could talk about how it brightens up a room, how it's a metaphor in the scriptures for life and revelation, and we see that constantly. And all of these things are good, and, and they carry a meaning for us. And you're welcome to come and chat to me about them afterwards. But I don't want to spend a lot of time in there, because there's one thing that undergirds those, all those different things. And, that, and that's this, that, that salt and light are always other. They're always different from what they're added to. Right? And it's that difference, it's that otherness that gives them value. See, if salt didn't taste like salt, no one would be adding lots of it onto their food. Right? Your chicken breast was dry and bland and you brought it to a brine, you didn't put anything on it and you just cooked it on the fire, it would taste a little bit average. And if you had salt that wasn't salty and you, you wouldn't put any of it on it. Right? The reason we use salt is because it has flavor. It does something to the things that we put it on that changes it. In the same way, you know, if light doesn't work, then it's no good. I had a torch the other day. And I needed to get into the attic to see what was going on with the geezer. And so I, I turned the torch on and it didn't work. So I opened up the back and I put some new batteries in and I closed it again and I turned it on and it still didn't work. You know what I did with the torch? I threw it away. Because it's useless. It's not doing what it was created and designed to do. And that's the heart of what Jesus is trying to stress here. He's trying to say that as my disciples, as those who are following me, you were created and designed, and who you are is to make an impact. You make an impact in the places that you are and the places that you go. That's how you were made. And he goes to great lengths to kind of tease this out by, by creating these ridiculous, unthinkable scenarios. Right? He says, you know, what if salt lost its saltiness? Has anyone ever tasted not salty salt? Right? Uh, we don't really get it. Apparently, it was maybe possible back then you could have impurities in the salt and it could you know, disappear over time. But you can kind of picture Jesus with a handful of salt in his hand, and he says, guys, I want you to taste some of this white powder, right? And, if it, and they taste it, and they're like, wow, that's really salty. He's like, what would you do? Oh, we put it on food, and we use it to preserve stuff, and we do all these kind of things. But if it was just white powder, you'd throw it away, right? It'd be useless. It's designed to have an impact. 
in the same way he uses this, this sort of ridiculous idea about trying to hide a city that's on a hill. Have you ever gone up onto um, Okapsavak and looked out over the city of Cape Town and you've climbed up Tamil Mountain and you've seen Cape Town at night? Right? You can't not see it. There's light everywhere. And he's using the, the old-time equivalent that when, you, when a city is on a hilltop, people have lights on in their homes, that that city is evident. People can see it. You can't hide it because it stands out. It's obvious on the landscape. In the same way, he says, guys, guys, I've got this really great idea. You know what I've decided to do? It's really dark, so I'm going to light this lamp, and I'm going to create a bit of light, and then I'm going to hide it under a basket. Do you think that's a good idea? That's like a ridiculous idea. Like, why would you say that, Jesus? Who would do that? No one would do that. Right? And, and he's, trying to, he's trying to get across the idea that it is ridiculous to be other than you were designed or created to be. If light doesn't bring light, it's no longer light. That's the key idea. This is the key message that he's trying to bring across here. That those who follow Jesus were designed, created, chosen, and redeemed because they have been made different. God has put it into our DNA. Just as much as you're a child of your parents, God has made you to make an impact. That always, who we are, always has an impact on where we are. And if you, if you aren't aware of that, you can just talk to the people around you and they'll tell you about the kind of impact that you're making. Right? Sometimes we don't see it, but people around us are able to see that. It's who we've been designed and created to be. That leads Jesus into this final part and, and he talks about how we go and do that. Right? And, and this is our approach. And, and it's really simple. He says that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the idea, and this, this doesn't need a lot of explanation. Jesus says, just like a city on a hilltop is really visible, just like when you light a lamp, it provides light to everyone in a room, so you are the same. You who are my followers are the same. Who we are is evident to others because of what we do, because of how we live our lives. The way in which you live your life stands as a testament to the people around you, and they're able to see what God has done in you as you are there. That's what it means to be salt and light. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you've been designed and created, made by God, so that when you are in a space, you are my representative in that space. People see you, and they see how you live your life, and it points them towards the Father. And they say, surely there's something different about this person in the way in which they respond to situations, the way in which they react to news that comes, the way in which they speak, the way in which they live, the integrity with which they have. All of the things that we're going to see follow in the Sermon on the Mount, when that characterizes your life, people look at you and they can't help but see God. That's what Jesus is saying. That who you are creates an impact in the places that you go. If that's the question, then we need to ask, how does this affect how we live? And I, and I want to refine that just a little bit because it's not about whether we make an impact or not, because we make an impact just because of who God has created us to be. But maybe the question needs to be, how salty is our salt? How, how bright is our light? Are we, do we maybe have a, a bit of a strong lampshade over our lights at the moment? I don't know where, where each of you are at. We, we only know where we're at for ourselves. And, and I want to pause for a moment, and I just want to create an opportunity for us to lift that up to God. 
And this is not a moment of condemnation. This is not to say you're a terrible Christian and how could you ever put a lampshade over your lamp? Because unfortunately, sometimes in our, in our weakness and our sinfulness, we do sometimes do that. But there's a grace that God gives us to turn to Him in repentance and to ask Him to really to, to allow us to lift that lampshade off. And we're going to talk just now about how, how to do that. We're going we're gonna to just be a little bit practical because that's what it's about. It's about living out who God's created us to be. But if you, if you can recognize that at the moment, won't you just close your eyes with me? We're just going to pray a very simple prayer. We're going to come before God and we're going to ask for His grace. God, you know that we love you. We're so grateful, God, for what you are doing and have done in our lives. And it's an incredible blessing, God, to be made in your image and likeness. To have had the glory of immortal God placed in us. And to be called your, your light and your salt in this world. To be the vessel through whom you've chosen to impact our world and our society. And God, sometimes, sometimes in our weakness and in our sinfulness, we, we cover up our light. And we don't, we don't put it on the stand that you've designed it to be on, and we, and we hide it from those around us. For whatever reason, God, sometimes we're afraid, sometimes we, we don't want to offend, sometimes we're, we're just concerned about what might happen. Sometimes we don't even think about it, Lord. And God, we want to just ask that wherever you're putting your finger now in our hearts and just pointing that out, Lord, we want to just ask your forgiveness from that. We want to turn away from that, God. We want to embrace the identity that you've given to us. The people, we want to be the people that you say we are. So thank you, God, for your forgiveness. and God, give us boldness and courage as we step into the identity that you have spoken over us. Thank you, Lord. So I want to move now into, into being a little bit more practical. Shane, are you okay to share? I sprung, I sprung a moment on Shane this morning. Um, John Weston was going to join us and share, and I'd, I'd asked him to just share a little bit about what it, what it means for him to live out as salt and light. And then he, he disappeared, so I found Shane. I was like, Shane, uh, back you as a man who's prepared in and out of season. And, uh, and so Shane is going to share just a little bit with us on how he looks to live out being salt and light in his life. I'm going to share a few stories after that, so Shane, but Shane, please come up and, uh, and just share some of how you've walked this out, because we really see that in you. Thanks, Brad. All I'm going to say is ditto. <laughs> <laughs> seems a theme this morning. Uh, yeah, it seems a theme. Um, a couple of years ago, one of my colleagues said to me, I, I would love just to have some time just to, to spend with you. She was learning to be a, a life coach. And um, one of the, during, a, during about six weeks or so in the afternoons when we, when we sat together and she was practicing on, on this guinea pig, um, she said to me one day, what's your purpose on earth? Why has God put you on earth? And, and it's, it's one of those things that you've been talking about, Brad. It's, it's what, what is the essence of who I am and why has he put me here? And it took me about two weeks to really think it through. Uh, and one of the things was um, to be a father. And I know I've got four kids, but it's more than that. And so just the incredible privilege of, of 
uh, spending time with young people and, and, and being able to build into their lives is just an, an amazing privilege. Another thing was, was um, to be a faith builder. And just with the, the experiences and the things that God's done in our lives over the years, it's just been amazing that He's, he's built faith in me to move mountains. And, and that sounds crazy, but that's who God is. Uh, so I'm able to encourage people in that and, and to, to see God at work in the most amazing ways. And then the third one is to be a, an encourager. Um, and, and I think those all played together. So I, I knew there was a particular call on my life. When I was about 14 years old, I was walking the, 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 um, the streets of Durban on my way to catch a bus home from school, uh, the best school in Durban, Durban High School. Uh, just saying, just putting it out there. Yeah, Rob, thanks. L, a few good men. Um, and, and as I was walking, there was a, a man walking down the road on crutches, and his one leg was completely deformed. And I felt God stir in my heart, stop him and lay hands on him. And I was in school uniform with my satchel, and I, I didn't. Because I was embarrassed. I felt awkward. I felt uncomfortable. It was a kind of four o'clock in the afternoon in, in the main street of Durban. And I, I let him pass by. And as he passed by, I felt just a, a kick in my spirit. And I turned and I watched him walk down the road on his crutches. And I know to this day, if I had done what God told me to do, to be who he had called me to be, just to be who I am, that man would have walked without his crutches. So it took me about 10 years, 15 years to get over that, to really come to grips with walking in who God has called me to be. Um, and I, 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 I don't want to preach your sermon for you, Brad, but seriously, I, I would love to encourage you to, to just spend time and ask God, who am I? Who has he created me to be? And then how do I walk in that? So uh, to be practical, um, I used to be a school teacher. Right now, I have the privilege of, of being in full-time ministry. I, I don't know what that means. I think because we're all in full-time ministry. Uh, but basically, um, everything I am for his kingdom cause is really what it's about. Um, and so a lot of what I do every day is kingdom stuff. It's just it's, it's the stuff that we're talking about. So I want to refer to a couple of other scenarios. Um, when I was school teaching some years ago, I, I, I know that the government had said, the state had said that there's no way you can bring religion into the classroom. And I thought, I'm a Christian. There's no way I can't. There's no way I cannot be a witness and a testimony in the classroom. And if they fire me for that, well and good. But I will be a testament in the classroom. In fact, my last day at the, at the school, I said to the principal, I'm going to preach the gospel message at the assembly because I was given the assembly to do. And she said, no, please don't do that. I said, you can't ask me not to do that. You can't fire me now. <laughs> so it was a, an amazing opportunity just to share the good news of Jesus, like full on, and for teachers to come afterwards and say, I don't know if that impacted any of the kids, but man... I, I, I understand. I, I heard what you said, and I, I want to live that kind of life. Um, my classroom was open, and so uh, I would have many times during, just as break started, a knock on the door, and a kid would walk in, and we'd spend the next 20 minutes or whatever long that particular break was talking about Jesus, 
and talking about the issues and the problems that they were facing at home was just an incredible opportunity. I remember Michael, one of, one of the kids at the school, I would be aware of a movement in the classroom behind me. I was teaching computer studies and aware of um, movement behind me and I just, Michael, is that you? Yes, sir. What do you need, Mike? I just need time out, sir. And he'd come and sit in the classroom and then we'd spend break time just talking together. And so the teachers in the school had the understanding if their kids were having a struggle in the classroom, they could send them out. Not to go and stand outside the principal's office, but to come and sit in Shane's classroom. What a privilege, being who I am. So, I mean, that's just a simple ways of just every day, just, just trying to be uh, who God's called me to be. I walked into the gym the other day, and I don't know why. I don't know why I walked into the gym, first of all. <laughs> uh, I'd been into the gym twice before in my life, and that's because I needed the bathroom. Um, <laughs> So, but I walked into the gym the other day, and the guy walked past me and said, Hi, Pastor. I'm like, I, I, he's not part of the church. Who is that guy? But he recognizes something of Christ, and that's what it's all about. I, I really want to challenge you. Ask God, who am I? What has he called me to be, and what's his reason for me being here on earth? It's not just to go to work, but it's to be kingdom. Thank you, Shane. I'm so, I'm so glad to, I'm so privileged to be in a church where there are people like you and many others who walk this out and live this out day in and, and day out. I want to share just one last story as we close, um, because we're all different. As Shane, as Shane mentioned earlier, in the morning service, um, at the 8 o'clock, we had Daphne and, and John Weston who shared a little bit of their story of how God's been at work in their life. And and we're all different in the way in which God uses us and the way in which we live out their identity of being salt and light that God created us to be. And uh, so I'll share another story from my side. Your stories will be different, but they're just as beautiful and they're just as powerful. And it's fantastic when we as God's people live out the identity that God's given us to be. I, am, I, I work in a very Christian environment, which is lovely, right? I love all of you. I, I love the people that I get to work with. The, the thing is, it's, it's real hard to meet people that don't yet know Jesus, Be, because everyone you know, your community is largely made up of Christian people, and all the people you work with are largely Christian people. And um, so one of the things I decided uh, many years ago is that I would be a part of a hockey team, so that I would have one space in my life where there would be people that didn't know Jesus that I was able to encounter on a regular basis. And, um, and so this has been a, a place where I've really been trusting God over many years to, to allow me to, to live out being salt and light in a non-Christian environment. And I do that, and I try and live that out when I'm here as well. And, you know, that's who we are, and that's what I trust God is doing through me. A couple of stories just to share with you out of that space. Um, our hockey team is, is largely not Christian, and, and many of them are what you might call very not Christian. Which, which is wonderful, you know. So I often come home smelling like smoke, and um, we walked into the Slug and Lettuce yesterday, and some other chap was having a real excited time about Paul Boy's high rugby game, and, and there were a lot of expletives going on. Anyway, we were, we, this is the, I try and put myself in these spaces so that I can connect and build a relationship with guys that otherwise might not have that. And um, 
So, so one, one year, at the end of our, uh, end of our hockey season, um, everyone's gets together, we've got a big celebration, and most of the guys are very drunk at this point in time. Um, but we're just hanging out, we're spending time with them, and, um, and just trying to continue to build that relationship with them. And so one of the guys comes up to me, he's like the captain in our team, and he says, Brad, you know, I've been meaning to ask you this for a long time, but I've, I've been afraid to do that. And the guys all know who I am, they know what I do, they know what I stand for, um, it's been, been afraid, but now I've had enough to drink, and I feel like I've got enough courage to come and ask you. <laughs> okay, great. And he said, Brad, would you, would you dedicate my little girl? And so I said to him, Matt, I'd be more than happy to do that, but we just we get together, and we're going to chat first. Um, and so I had an opportunity, and I got together with him and his wife. We sat down in their back garden. We had a little bry, and we, and we got to chat about faith. We got to talk about what faith means, what they believe, what I believe. If I'm going to dedicate your child, this is what I'm going to do. We're not praying to some spirit that we think is out there. We trust Jesus is real. You know? And got to open up a conversation of faith, got to deal with some of the preconceptions that they'd been carrying, some of the hurts that had been built into them um, years ago at churches that they'd been at. It was just one, it was one story, and I, I got to do that for their second child as well, which is really special. It's been another mate in my team where he's like, he's one of those guys, he's a really good guy, but, but he definitely doesn't know God, and there's been a lot of darkness around as well, and, um, and I've just seen God poking at the edges of his life, and I've been saying, God, you, you need to give me an opportunity to get in there, you need to give me a space where we can share, and we can really minister, and I got one like a year ago, and it was great, and we got together, and we had a beer, and we chatted, and, and God was really at work, and I got to share some stuff with him. Then I didn't really get to have a meaningful conversation with him for about nine months after that. And I was really quite sad. And, I was, and then recently, God opened up another opportunity where we went away as a team to Amanus for the weekends, and uh, him and his wife needed a space to stay. And so we were able to invite them to come along with us and, and to stay in the accommodation that we had. And I was, again, trusting God would give me an opportunity. And we had, we had a conversation from 11 o'clock at night till 4 o'clock in the morning. It's been a long time since I've been awake that late, and I was so tired, but it was so good because God was at work, and we were talking about faith, and he said, you know, Brad, there's a reason we haven't had this conversation yet, it's because when you spoke to me the last time, you shared something that was really true, and, and it really impacted me, and so I've avoided you for the last nine months. <laughs> Fair enough. But we got together, and over five hours, with a fire going in the background, we began to share about life and faith, and the reality of Jesus, the reality of the gospel. We got, Glenn and I both got to kind of share our testimonies, and we chatted to them about their faith walk, and I got a chance to pray with them afterwards into a really challenging space that he was in. That's just, that's been one of the things where I've tried to be intentional in my life to, to create a space where I can trust that God is able to be at work in me as salt and light in the world and to, in places that we're in. And my, my hope as we, as we read these words together, as we see the words of Jesus before us is that we would, as Shane said, really be who God has called us, who we are, who He's made us, who He's designed us to be. Each of us is different, and my gift looks different to your gift, and the way in which I connect with people is going to be different to the way in which you connect with people, and each of us is going to have a different size of heart, but are we going, and are we walking in the identity that God has made us to be people who create impact, who bring light into a dark place, who bring salt into the place that needs flavor that needs, that needs to be preserved, that needs to be prevented from decaying? Are, are we able to go into those places together? Are we trusting God for those opportunities? And are we being the witness that God has created us to be? 
That's, that's my hope, that we, would, that we would live who we are. And, and I, you know, I was chatting to someone earlier at the 8 o'clock, and he said, you know, Brad, sometimes I hear messages like this, and, and I really receive them, but I feel, the, I feel the weight of conviction in my heart. And no, we're not trying to make anyone guilty. This is not about guilt. This is about an encouragement to live as you are, as God has created you to be. And if you, if you need to take a first step this morning, and it's just to say, God, help me to do this. Help me to be intentional. Help me to recognize who you've put around me and give me the courage, God, to take the moments when you create them. And just, and just follow God as he does that. And you'll begin to see over and over again the opportunities that God brings into your space. Let's pray together and uh, we'll go and have some tea and coffee. God, thank you that in your infinite wisdom, you have chosen to take people like us. You said the, the weak, the foolish things of this world, the insignificant things. Um, God, many of us think that we're insignificant. But you have spoken identity and purpose over us. And, and when we came to you, God, you recreated us in Christ Jesus. And you, and you grafted into our DNA to be a people of light and a people of salt, to be your people in this dark world, and to be people that everyone else is able to look at and to see Christ and to see the kingdom. Not because we're perfect, not because we're good, but because you're at work in us and you've made us in a certain way. And we thank you for that, God. And Lord, we want to pray that as we press into that together, won't you give us courage, God? Won't you give us boldness? Help us to be intentional. Help us to, to place our lives before you and to invite you to, to lead us into new places. Lord, I pray that you increase the harvest of the lives of the people that connect. That we would be, God, a city that blazes on a hilltop. That would be visible to everyone around. That as we stand together, our communal light would be incredible. And that each of us would, would carry that light, the light of the glory of God and the face of Christ. We would carry that light into all the places that you send us to go. And that people would see the way in which we live. And they would cast their eyes on Jesus. We ask this in the wonderful and the glorious name of our King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Can I just share one, one more quick story? Um, I, was, I was so reminded as Brad started sharing this morning where Francis of Assisi, it's attributed to him when he said, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. But I believe we need to use words as well. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I was at the pantry down in Ladies Mile with one of the young adults in the church last week. Uh, we spent four hours together talking about Jesus. And as I went to pay, he left and I went to go and pay. And, and the, the lady behind the counter, Melody, said to me, can I have a turn as well? <laughs> Guys, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Amen. Thank you, Shane. Please go and grab some tea and coffee in the Connect Cafe.